During this season of Lent, our sermon series that Tyler and I are preaching together uh, deal with our need for forgiveness, deal with our recognition of our need for a Savior. Uh, Our sermon series, as all churches should be experiencing uh, at this time of year, approaching Easter, uh, Good Friday and Easter, is to prepare us to appreciate the gift of our Savior's death on our behalf that sets us free from sin and death and to prepare us for the joy of the resurrection, reminding us and assuring us that God will resurrect us also into eternal life. We are taking our first set of sermons from uh, the book of Genesis, the very beginning of God's word to us, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And uh, I happen to be... Uh, able to see a YouTube this past week uh, featuring a man named John, Dr. John Lennox. Uh, He is the professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford in England. Oxford is one of the most prestigious and respected uh, centers of education, higher education in the world. To hold that seat of mathematics uh, sets Dr. Lennox uh, head and shoulders above uh, so many people. He knows his stuff. Dr. Lennox is also uh, a devout believer in Jesus Christ. He's also an Irishman, in case you couldn't tell. He uh, he is a, a warm, uh, kind loving person, but brilliant. I had seen him on several YouTubes before when he has debated some of the world's foremost atheists. He is known as one of the best of our apologists, defending the faith in God's existence and for Dr. Lennox in Christ. Um, Put the next slide up, if you have that, of what, uh, maybe, maybe we don't have that, but he, uh, the name of his YouTube video is Seven Days That Divide the World. Seven Days That Divide the World, and uh, it is his explanation of the creation account in Genesis 1. Dr. Lennox uh, is deeply versed with scripture as well as mathematics and physics, astronomy, origins of the world, development of, of life. Uh, he is, he's brilliant. And uh, he points out that uh, Genesis is deep. We must not make the mistake of Uh, being too shallow in our reading of the story of Genesis, nor many other locations in the scriptures. One of the examples he gives us is that uh, the obvious thing, Jesus says, I am the door, John 10. He says, I am the door, I am the gate. And 
Dr. Lennox says, obviously we all know Jesus was not a rectangle piece of wood with two hinges fastened to him. He is speaking about what the function of a door is. I am the entrance into eternal life. So he says, we, we, we understand that it's obvious at some place, but other places we're not as quick to recognize the symbolic meanings of things. So he goes through the story of creation in Genesis. I recommend that for you. Uh, it's uh, easy to watch. Um, uh, first part of it, he, he has a sense of humor. It's, it's good. I'll, I'll leave it at that and I hope you try it. This morning, our Lenten series of sermons takes us to Genesis 3. Tyler began our series with the greatest love story in the world. God uh, created humankind and only humankind in his image for a relationship of unending love. Then Tyler followed with the story of the fall, F-A-L-L, which Christian scholars and the church has used to speak of uh, the great betrayal, the great betrayal of the creator by the ones created in God's image. Flesh and blood with mind and heart and soul with life breathed into them by the immortal, eternal, omnipotent creator of the universe. Those first humans who walked in the evening with God. They listened to a deceiving voice which said God did not say what they clearly heard God say. And those first humans thought of three appealing reasons why they should do what God said not to do. They tasted evil by placing themselves above God. And they gave birth to us. We are their descendants. This morning we will see what happened after that. Our text is Genesis 3, verses 12 through 14. And as we were taught by Jesus himself to do, we will pray and ask for his spirit to enlighten us with what he has caused to be written for us. Lord, we do bow and ask that you help us as we read your words. Help us to understand the depth and the scope of what you are telling us. Give us eyes to see and ears to to hear and hearts to believe and do what you call us to do. We thank you for giving us the gift of your very own spirit deep within the lives of each of us. And you are with us even in this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this sermon text in Genesis 3 picks up the story right after God cannot find Adam and Eve. And God has to call, where are you? 
in this beautiful garden which represented fellowship with God, unimpeded, deep, intimate, peaceful, secure, wonderful. Where are you? When Adam admits he hid in fear because he was naked, God asks that second question. Who told you? Did you eat from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Let us listen to God's word about what happened after that. Verse 12 begins, The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord turned to the woman and said, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The first game ever played in the human race was hide-and-seek. The second game played was dodgeball. And we've been playing that ever since. It's not my fault. Somebody else made me do it. Uh, the devil made me do it. <laughs> so, uh, but we have done what was done from the beginning. It's not our fault. Verse 14 then begins with God uh, pronouncing a curse. Uh, and so uh, let us read this part beginning in verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That alone is a very deep pronouncement by God, referring to something more than just wire snakes wiggling on the ground. It is not that. Uh, this representation of the adversary that God has had from the beginning. For the word adversary is the Hebrew word S-T-N. Hebrew words are only given in consonants. The vowels were always filled in by knowledge of the Jewish people, knowing how they were pronounced. As time went on, and truly by the 7th century after Christ, little vowel points were given to us. And so the S-T-N is pronounced Satan. That word simply meant in Hebrew, adversary. And Jesus was acquainted with the adversary of God. Jesus called him a murderer 
and the father of lies. And so in the garden, the first lie was, God did not say that. And so they believed it. Going, uh, what the rest of that means, we believe that when God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will strike your head, you will strike his heel. Theologians have considered that the he is Christ. He, Christ, will strike a death blow to Satan, to God's adversary. That's the head. But the adversary would strike and wound the heel, which was the wound of Christ on the cross. Uh, There's deeper meaning to that, and uh, it is something for us to consider deeply of what that process is. Uh, We understand much of the symbolism in the Old Testament through the lens of Christ as he spoke there in his ministry in Galilee and Judea. The next part of the curse was to the woman, beginning in verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. I'll come back to that. Let's go on. The next the next section of this curse, God spoke to the man. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, all the, uh, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Continuing in verse 20. The next slide. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, remember this one. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord said, See, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. 
Thanks be to God for his word. The sermon title is East of Eden, taken from where uh, God sent uh, Adam and Eve, the first humans and all humans, out of the garden. Uh, I want to try to describe a little bit some of the meanings in that curse. For the curse was really the consequence of disbelieving God, disobeying God, and disappearing from God's sight and care. God permitted the choice, and God proclaimed the consequences. The curse is not a hex of voodoo or something magical or misunderstood. The curse was simply describing the consequences of humankind being ushered out of that intimate relationship with God that God had created us for. These consequences uh, that God proclaimed fall into four parts. There are actually five named, but two of them refer to the same consequence. The first consequence was against the deceiving voice, the adversary of God. It is the struggle for truth, for that adversary is the liar. God is truth. That which says what God says is not true is a lie and is the struggle for truth that pervades all of human history. Uh, The second was upon the woman. And there are really two parts to this. The first part uh, is that she would struggle... uh, yeah, Yeah, the first part is that she would struggle in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. This really is is very similar to one of the parts God spoke to the man. And it is the fact that from henceforth, human beings would struggle with the natural world. And there's nothing more natural that is part of our lives than bringing forth children, the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. And so to the woman, he says that something that's so fundamental to her part of humanity would now become a great struggle. It would involve threats to her life, literally, as we have seen in human history. The second part of the curse to the woman was that her desire would be for her husband, but that he would rule over her. This has often been misused, even within the church, in order to uh, say that there is, uh, that males would rule over females. But this curse is not describing God's will for us, This curse is describing the consequences 
of our disobedience to God and our taking ourselves away from God. So um, this is describing the nature of human relationships when God is not in the middle of them. And it will be that the, the strong would oppress the weak. And it begins in marriage. I am not saying that a woman is weak and a man is strong. The point is that bearing children makes the woman vulnerable. Uh, It is a dominating process in the lives of mothers, has been forever. Uh, it is, uh, it is then, then that the male is not debilitated by the process of forming a child in the womb, and the male is overbearing to the females. And so that really just symbolizes what humanity has experienced uh, in all of its cultures and societies, not only in marriage and relationships between male and female, but, bu- but between the powerful and the weak of all types. That is, the, that is one of the consequences of broken relationships in humanity. It's dog-eat-dog, survival of the fittest. That is wrapped up in that second statement to the woman. Uh, To the man, God warned of the human struggle to survive in an uncaring natural world. When God says, uh, Cursed is the ground because of you, In toil you shall eat of it all your days. In other words, that it would be a struggle for humans to survive in the natural world. Not just natural disasters and threats, but even to produce crops, even to withstand drought and flood, uh, to be able to feed ourselves, to clothe ourselves. It would be a struggle. And we would be struggling with the natural world. That is the one that's in common with the woman in childbirth. The second part of the curse to the man that God spoke was that he, he, would, he had lost eternal life. God had created human beings to live forever with him. But being apart from God, we would now experience death. And so God says, you were created from dust, to dust you shall return. So east of Eden is living apart from the presence of God and experiencing the consequences of that. It is represented in the New Testament by the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, leaving his father going to a far country, wasting all that he had, coming to the point where he was desperate and dying. Now, I want to try to sum up for you or give you a little bit of an outline uh, the many things in the Scripture which talk about the predicament 
of human, human beings being in the condition of sin. Uh, I say that the full consequences of, the, of our separation from God, they fall into five categories. Uh, they are darkness, lawlessness, brokenness, helplessness, and death. And those are not in random order. Darkness is the first effect of being absent from the presence of God. For God is light. Jesus Jesus proclaimed that a number of times. John said, in him was light, and this light was the light of the world. This light represents knowledge. Light always represents understanding. The opposite of that is darkness. And so when we stepped out of Eden, we stepped into darkness. The second of those is lawlessness. When we are separated from God, we no longer know who we are, who God is, how life is supposed to work. And so human beings began to try to cope with lack of knowledge comes uh, not understanding how to live. And so lawlessness begins to, begins to set up one person against another. And we consider law what benefits me, not what benefits you or us. And so it's might makes right, the strong oppress the weak. The third aspect of that produces, all of that begins to produce brokenness. For it is uh, like many of the modern appliances and benefits that we have in our society, our world today, they are complicated. It's very helpful if somebody shows us how to use them before we do use them. Whether it's a car or uh, a microwave or a computer, uh, if we don't know how it works, we can damage. When we don't know how we work, we damage ourselves and we become broken with diseases and disorders. And even those begin to enter our genetic code. We have learned from science. One of the things about that is that no one anywhere today can say, God made me this way. In spite of that, we have a God who loves us each dearly, just as we are. Not for the brokenness in us, but in spite of it. The fourth category is helplessness. Humans were created with free choice. In God's image, now we have lost that, or it was lost. And Jesus himself said that we became, we all become captives to that which uh, we have, have done. Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. 
and a slave has no permanent place in the household. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's in that eighth chapter of John, which Jesus speaks about our condition, our struggle. Jesus also speaks about the fifth category of living east of Eden, and that is death, a final death, an extinction. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. That's John 8, 24. God permits loss, but God pursues love. God permits rebellion, but God pursues redemption and reconciliation. And God began to signal that, the word signal, to indicate that. First part of that is sign, S-I-G-N. God began to signal his, uh, his purpose and intention to redeem and reconcile that which was lost. He did so in that verse 21 of chapter 3. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife, and clothed them. God was deeply disturbed that this that they had done this. God was about to send them away from his living in his presence. But the last thing he did before he drove them out of the garden, it says, was to give them covering of skins for in their shame earlier the text reads that Adam and Eve took leaves and covered themselves for they recognized that they were exposed now God says they need some help I'm going to give them this but why why was that in there Who would have imagined that? Who could make this up? What ancient Jewish storyteller could come up with this? God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. That is an expression of compassion in spite of judgment. Compassion, knowing that they were about to go out and experience life in the dark, amongst lawlessness and brokenness and captivity and then death. Out of love, God makes garments of skins. East of Eden is where we all live, but there is saving grace in Jesus. And Jesus was not a surprise, a late thought by God. The skins, perhaps, 
that God clothed Adam and Eve with were a sign to us that there would one day be a Lamb of God. And being clothed by the Lamb of God, we would all experience forgiveness of sin and resurrection into eternal life. It's an amazing little little note there in Genesis. It's one of those things we run over, race over, until we begin to put the beginnings of Scripture with the ends of Scripture. Or we look from the ends of Scripture back to the beginning of Scripture and see them coming together. As Dr. Lennox said, Genesis is very deep. It is God who is the author of Genesis. And all the books we have to read, all of the stories of his love for us, his words to us, and then his coming to us, his dying for us, and his resurrection for us. It's a great story. Though we are living in the east of Eden, we are now also living in the kingdom of God. One is within the other. The early Christians knew that. That's explained in the New Testament also. We'll have time the rest of this year to get to that too. But currently, we are trying to understand what it is that says we desperately need a Savior. Anyone living east of Eden desperately needs a Savior. Kristen?